Welcome to the third episode of Thick and Thin Podcast. In this program, I talk with one of my former therapists, Robert Lieberg. Robert and I talk with each other about what symptoms I had as a survivor when I first visited him and how I moved toward a better life. Welcome to my program. How are you doing, Robert? Very well, thank you, and, and I appreciate your uh, inviting me. Uh, no problem at all. If you could please tell me, uh, when we first met with each other, what kind of personalities did you see in me as a survivor, as a victim? Well, my main memory of meeting you for the very first time in our first session was that you seemed very shut down. You had a great deal of difficulty maintaining eye contact with me. In fact, if I recall correctly, we barely had any eye contact. I recall very distinctly that you uh, wanted me to close the curtains in case someone walked by. You exhibited a lot of behaviors that seemed like someone who had suffered tremendous trauma. Uh, of course, I wasn't able to, you know, form a diagnosis initially, but it became clear to me over time that you were suffering from PTSD. Are these symptoms common among PTSD survivors? Yes. You also spoke with a very, very, very soft voice. There was a sense of paranoia, as if you were in imminent danger of being hurt or discovered. Someone might know you were there. Um, those kinds of things, you know, everybody reacts to their trauma in different ways. definitely observed someone who had been brutalized in some way and was almost like a, a tortoise pulling its head inside its shell. It's someone who had developed a very, very thick, protective shell. I began visiting you in early 2019 and uh, we met on a regular basis. How did my symptoms go away or how did I improve toward a better life, be it physically, emotionally, and mentally. As we built rapport over the weeks, I definitely remember you began to have more eye contact with me, which established more of kind of a trust and intimacy that's necessary to talk about such, you know, traumatic events. I did notice over time it took quite a while for you to be able to discuss certain things. Um, that were related to everything that had happened to you back in Iran and also things that had happened to you here in the United States. I noticed you became a little more lighthearted. You would tell jokes, you would smile. You revealed more of your personality. Physically, you, you, you kind of sat up straighter. You seemed a little more confident. Definitely your vocal, your voice became louder. You seemed like more of a confident person. And you also described a lot of symptoms having to do with, with uh, your stomach, your eating, that appeared to me, yes, uh, I'm not a doctor, you could have had some eating issues with your stomach, but I, I think also trauma and stress and anxiety and depression are all intrinsically woven into how our digestive system works. Yes, I agree. In early 2019, I actually stopped eating any kind of meat or any kind of product or grocery items that included gluten. So I'm now completely gluten-free. I'm kind of a pescatarian as of now, and I rarely eat any kind of rice or bread. As an Iranian, that's kind of unusual, and people would be surprised to hear that. But that's how stress has changed my life. Well, so if you could please elaborate more about 
how individuals who happen to explore themselves sexually react to these ways of identifying themselves uh, when they have indeed in the past been victimized. One of the key things that's taken away from someone who has been violently sexually assaulted in my experience of treating people with that kind of trauma is that it's extremely difficult to establish um, intimacy, trust, a sense of safety, especially uh, when it comes to sexual contact. And so in working with you, I, I found a great deal of, of struggle with that. And, and you had a great desire to, you know, meet people and start dating. And uh, you, you seemed very troubled about how to go about doing that. And as we worked together, and you actually did meet some individuals and go on some dates. I felt that your, the way you described your experiences, it, it seemed like you were getting closer and closer to being able to establish the kind of safety and intimacy that would eventually lead to a healthy relationship, whether it be just talking about sexual intimacy or even developing a romantic relationship that's more permanent with a partner. Up until um, coronavirus hit all of us and <laughs> destroyed everything. Yes, and now we're all dealing with the same challenge of how you connect with people virtually. It just isn't the same as connecting in person. So, But before the pandemic hit, and as I was still treating you in the past, I definitely was very pleasantly surprised at your progress in terms of feeling safe to explore your sexuality and meet new people. Um, we had a lot of discussions about sexuality being a, a spectrum that you know, kind of exploring where on the spectrum you felt you might be because the trauma had robbed you of, you know, a standard young adulthood when these things are being explored. Uh, believe me, it still sometimes does. I have another question for you. How common of a thing is it for people who have been assaulted to experience bisexuality or to experience orienting themselves toward a different identity? tremendously traumatic event 
I would think any kind of sexual contact would become re-traumatizing for quite some time. But it becomes even more complicated when you add that layer of, again, the way some societies or some portions of society view the spectrum of, of sexual orientation. I actually agree with you about uh, me being lost uh, and uh, not having the confidence uh, for almost 17 years to get close to anyone uh, for any sort of purpose. Uh, and another thing is that uh, I mean, like uh, we have talked uh, in the past, uh, sexuality is fluid and then sometimes you might be attracted to one sex and at some point later on you might be attracted to another sex and that uh, once we have a stable relationship that can get stabilized as well. Is there anything else that you want to add? We never fully get over these kinds of trauma. We carry them throughout our lives. But I felt like your attitude and your approach and, and your bravery, I found that remarkable that you, that you felt safe to start exploring, dating, meeting people, talking to people. I really saw growth that showed me that you were able to face the trauma and still, you know, be brave enough to try to establish it. Again, not just with dating, but just in general, I found your progress quite remarkable. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's kind of you. It's still going on. It's not over yes, yet. I must agree with you. It is a lifelong process. There's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, in the general population that, you know, you go to a therapist and you get fixed and then you're all better and then you stop seeing the therapist and that's not how it works. You learn tools, you learn what kind of coping mechanisms you already have, but you also learn new ones. It was really nice talking with you over the phone because of this social distancing rule and stay at home order. We can't, of course, meet with each other in person. So I really appreciate it for taking the time to talk with me about what I'm doing. No problem at all. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you and I really think that the work that you're doing and the message is so important and so vital that I'm just happy that I can contribute in some way. You were listening to my conversation with Robert Lieberg. He was one of my former therapists and he practices as a psychotherapist in Los Angeles. During these difficult times, I decided to muster up the courage to produce this podcast, not only to help humanity, but also to help myself so that my voice could be heard.